Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. An audio file created by WebULite.com Quintus Septimius Florentae Tertullianus, anglicized as Tertullian, who lived from about 160 to 235 CE, was a church leader and prolific author of early Christianity. He also was a notable early Christian apologist. He was the son of a Roman centurion. Tertullian denounced Christian doctrines he considered heretical, but later in life adopted views that themselves came to be regarded as heretical. He wrote three books in Greek and was the first great writer of Latin Christianity, thus sometimes known as the father of the Latin Church. He was a notable lawyer in Rome during the reign of Marcus Aurelius and introduced the term Trinity, Theophilius to Autolicus, 115-181, introduced the word Trinity in his book too. Chapter 15 on the creation of the fourth day, as the Latin Trinitus, to the Christian vocabulary and also probably the formula three persons, one substance, as the Latin tris person, another substantial itself from the coin Greek tris hypostasis, homusios, and also the terms vitis testamentum old testament, and navum testamentum new testament. In his Apologeticus, he was the first Latin author who qualified Christianity as the vera religio, and systematically relegated the classical empire religion and other accepted cults to the position of mere superstitions. Tertullian adopted Montanist practices late in his life and was associated with the heretical Montanists. It is probably due to this association that he has never been acknowledged as a saint. Life Very little is known about Tertullian, and that little is based on passing references in his own writings and on Eusebius of Caesarea, Hist Ecclesiastes, II, the second four, and Jerome's Divirus Illustribus, on famous men, chapter 53. His father held a position, Centurio Proconsularis, aide de camp, in the Roman army in Africa. Roman Africa was famous as the home of orators, and this influence can be seen in his style, with its archaisms or provincialisms, its glowing imagery and its passionate temper. He was a scholar, having received an excellent education. He wrote at least three books in Greek, to which he himself refers, but none of these are extant. His principal study was jurisprudence, and his methods of reasoning reveal striking marks of his juridical training. He shone among the advocates of Rome, as Eusebius reports. 
His conversion to Christianity took place about 197-198 cf. Adolf Harnick, Barnwich, and others, but its immediate antecedents are unknown except as they are conjectured from his writings. The event must have been sudden and decisive, transforming at once his own personality. He himself said that he could not imagine a truly Christian life without such a conscious breach, a radical act of conversion. Christians are made, not born, Apal, XVIII. In the Church of Carthage he was ordained a presbyter, priest, though he was married, a fact well established by his two books to his wife and not unusual in its time. In middle life, about 207, he broke with the Orthodox Church and became the local leader and the passionate and brilliant exponent of Montanism, that is, he became a heretic. But even the Montanists were not rigorous enough for Tertullian, and he broke with them to found his own sect. The statement of Augustine, De Hoisibus, LXXXVI that before his death Tertullian returned to the bosom of the Catholic Church is very improbable. His sect, the Tertullianists, still had in the times of Augustine a basilica in Carthage, but in that same period passed into the Orthodox Church. Jerome says that Tertullian lived to a great age, in spite of his schism, Tertullian continued to fight heresy especially Gnosticism, and by the doctrinal works thus produced he became the teacher of Cyprian, the predecessor of Augustine, and the chief founder of Latin theology. Writings General Character 31 works are extant, together with fragments of more. Some 15 works in Latin or Greek are lost. Some as recently as the 9th century, De Paradiso Delaware Superstition Assay Aculi, De Carnet Anima were all extant in the now damaged Codex Agabinus in 814 AD. Tertullian's writings cover the whole theological field of the time, apologetics against paganism and Judaism, polemics, polity, discipline, and morals or the whole reorganization of human life on a Christian basis. They gave a picture of the religious life and thought of the time which is of the greatest interest to the church historian. Chronology and Contents The chronology of these writings is difficult to fix with certainty. It is in part determined by the Montanistic views that are set forth in some of them by the author's own allusions to this writing or that as dating others, C.F. Honick, Literatari II.2662, and by definite historic data, e.g., the reference to the death of Septimius Severus, at Scapulam, Iv, in his work against Marson, which he calls his third composition on the Marsonet Rezi, he gives its date as the 15th year of Severus' reign, A.D.V. Marsonum, I.1, 15.
The writings may be divided with reference to the two periods of Tertullian's Christian activity, the Catholic and the Montanist. C.F. Honick, II.62sqq, or according to their subject matter. The object of the former mode of division is to show, if possible, the change of views Tertullian's mind underwent. Following the latter mode, which is of a more practical interest, the writings fall into two groups, apologetic and polemic writings, like Apologeticus Delaware Testimonio Anime, ADV Judios, ADV Marcinum, ADV Praxim, ADV Homogenum Delaware Proscription Hereticorum, Scorpius Contract Narcissism etc. The other writings are practical and disciplinary, e.g., Demana Gamia, Adluxorum, De Virginibus Valantis, De Cultu Feminarum, De Patientia, De Pudicitia, De Rationa, Ad Matris, etc. Among the apologetic writings the Apologeticus, addressed to the Roman magistrates, is the most pungent defense of Christianity and the Christians ever written against the reproaches of the pagans, and one of the most magnificent legacies of the ancient church, full of enthusiasm, courage, and vigor. It first clearly proclaims the principle of freedom of religion as an inalienable right of man, and demands a fair trial for the Christians before they are condemned to death. Tertullian was the first to break the force of such charges as that the Christians sacrificed infants at the celebration of the Lord's Supper and committed incest. He pointed to the commission of such crimes in the pagan world, and then proved by the testimony of Pliny that Christians pledged themselves not to commit murder, adultery, or other crimes. He adduced also the inhumanity of pagan customs, such as feeding the flesh of gladiators to beasts. The gods have no existence, and thus there is no pagan religion against which Christians may offend. Christians do not engage in the foolish worship of the emperors. They do better, they pray for them. Christians can afford to be put to torture and to death and the more they are cast down the more they grow. In the blood of the martyrs lies the seed of the church, apologeticum, one, in the De Proscriptiona he develops as its fundamental idea that, in a dispute between the church and a separating party, the whole burden of proof lies with the latter, as the church, in possession of the unbroken tradition, is by its very existence a guarantee of its truth. The five books against Marson, written 207 or 208, are the most comprehensive and elaborate of his polemical works, invaluable for the understanding of Gnosticism, of the moral and ascetic treatises. The De Patientia and De Spectaculis are among the most interesting and the De Pudicitia and De Virginibus Velandis among the most characteristic. Theology General Character Though thoroughly conversant with the Greek theology, 
Tertullian was independent of its metaphysical speculation. He had learned from the Greek apologies, and forms a direct contrast to Origen, who drew much of his theories regarding creation from Middle Platonism. Tertullian, the prince of realists and practical theologian, carried his realism to the verge of materialism. This is evident from his ascription to God of corporate and his acceptance of the traducing theory of the origin of the soul. He despised Greek philosophy, and, far from looking at Plato, Aristotle, and other Greek thinkers whom he quotes as foreigners of Christ and the Gospel, he pronounces them the patriarchal forefathers of the heretics, Dianema, the third. He held up to scorn their inconsistency when he referred to the fact that Socrates in dying ordered a cock to be sacrificed to Aesculapius, Delaware Anima, I. Tertullian always wrote under stress of a felt necessity. He was never so happy as when he had opponents like Marson and Praxis, and, however abstract the ideas may be which he treated, he was always moved by practical considerations to make his case clear and irresistible. It was partly this element which gave to his writings a formative influence upon the theology of the post-Nicene period in the West and has rendered them fresh reading to this day. He was a born disputant, moved by the noblest impulses known in the Church. It is true that during the 3rd century no mention is made of his name by other authors. Lactantius at the opening of the 4th century is the first to do this, but Augustine treats him openly with respect. Cyprian, Tertullian's North African compatriot, though he nowhere mentions his name, was well read in his writings, as Cyprian's secretary told Jerome. Specific Teachings Tertullian's main doctrinal teachings are as follows. The soul was not pre-existent, as Plato affirmed, nor subject to metempsychosis or reincarnation, as the Pythagoreans held. In each individual it is a new product, proceeding equally with the body from the parents, and not created later and associated with the body. Dianima, XXVII. This position is called traducianism in opposition to creationism, or the idea that each soul is a fresh creation of God for Tertullian. The soul is, however, a distinct entity and a certain corporate and as such it may be tormented in hell. Delaware Anima, LVIII. The soul's sinfulness is easily explained by its traducing origin, Dianema, XXXIX. It is in bondage to Satan, whose works it renounces in baptism, but has seeds of good, Dianema, XLI, and when awakened, it passes to health and at once calls upon God, Apal, XVII, and is naturally Christian. It exists in all men alike. It is a culprit and yet an unconscious witness by its impulse to worship, its fear of demons, and its musings on death to the power, benignity, 
and judgment of God as revealed in the Christian's scriptures, Delaware Testimonio, vivi. God, who made the world out of nothing through his Son, the Word, has corporate though he is a spirit, de prescriptioner, v. a dv praxim, v. however Tertullian used corporeal, only in the stoic sense, to mean something with actual existence, rather than the later idea of flesh, in the statement of the Trinity, Tertullian was a foreigner of the Nicene doctrine, approaching the subject from the standpoint of the Logos doctrine, though he did not fully state the imminent Trinity, his use of Trinitis, Latin, Threnis, emphasized the manifold character of God in his treatise against Praxis, who taught Patripassionism in Rome, he used the words, Trinity and Economy, persons and substance, the Son is distinct from the Father, and the Spirit from both the Father and the Son, ADV Praxim, XXV, these three are one substance, not one person, and it is said, I and my Father are one, in respect not of the singularity of number but the unity of the substance, the very names Father and Son, indicate the distinction of personality, the Father is one, the Son is one, and the Spirit is one, ADV Praxim, X. The question whether the Son was eternal with the Father Tertullian does not set forth in full clarity, and though he did not fully state the doctrine of the immanence of the Trinity, he went a long distance in the way of approach to it. In soteriology Tertullian does not dogmatize, he prefers to keep silence at the mystery of the cross, de patientia, the third, the sufferings of Christ's life as well as of the crucifixion are efficacious to redemption, in the water of baptism, which, upon a partial quotation of John 3 5, is made necessary, de baptismate, vide we are born again. We do not receive the Holy Spirit in the water, but are prepared for the Holy Spirit. We little fishes, after the example of the ichthys, fish, Jesus Christ, are born in water, did baptismate, I, in discussing whether sins committed subsequent to baptism may be forgiven, he calls baptism and penance two planks, on which the sinner may be saved from shipwreck, language which he gave to the church, Delaware Penitentiary. With reference to the rule of faith, it may be said that Tertullian is constantly using this expression and by it means now the authoritative tradition handed down in the church, now the scriptures themselves, and perhaps also a definite doctrinal formula, while he nowhere gives a list of the books of scripture, he divides them into two parts and calls them the instrumentum and testamentum, ADV Marsnum, IV.1. He distinguishes between the four gospels and insists upon their apostolic origin as accrediting their authority, de prescriptioner, XXXVI, ADV Marsnum, 
IV.15, in trying to account for Marson's treatment of the Lucan Gospel and the Pauline writings he sarcastically queries whether the shipmaster from Pontius, Marson, had ever been guilty of taking on contraband goods or tampering with them after they were aboard, ADV Marsonum, V.1, the scripture, the rule of faith, is for him fixed and authoritative, Dicarona, the third if, as opposed to the pagan writings they are divine, Detestimonio Animae, Vi, they contain all truth, Diproscriptioner, V. Xiv, and from them the church drinks, patat, her faith, adv praxim, xee, the prophets were older than the Greek philosophers and their authority is accredited by the fulfillment of their predictions, apal, xxxx, the scriptures and the teachings of philosophy are incompatible, insofar as the latter are the origins of sub-Christian heresies, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? He exclaims, or the academy with the church. Diproscriptioner, V. Philosophy as pop paganism is a work of demons. Dianima, I. The scriptures contain the wisdom of heaven. However, Tertullian was not averse to using the technical methods of Stoicism to discuss the problem. Dianima, the rule of faith however, seems to be also applied by Tertullian to some distinct formula of doctrine, and he gives a succinct statement of the Christian faith under this term, Diproscriptiona, Xee. Tertullian was a defender of the necessity of apostolicity, in his prescription against heretics. He explicitly challenges heretics to produce evidence of the apostolic succession of their communities. Let them produce the original records of their churches. Let them unfold the role of their bishops, running down in due succession from the beginning in such a manner that that first bishop of theirs, bishop shall be able to show for his ordained and predecessor some one of the apostles or of apostolic men, a man, moreover, who continued steadfast with the apostles. For this is the manner in which the apostolic churches transmit their registers. As the church of Smyrna, which records that Polycarp was placed therein by John, as also the church of Rome, which makes Clement to have been ordained in like manner by Peter, in exactly the same way the other churches likewise exhibit their several worthies, whom, as having been appointed to their episcopal places by apostles, they regard as transmitters of the apostolic seed. Moral Principles Tertullian was a determined advocate of strict discipline and an austere code of practice, and like many of the African fathers, one of the leading representatives of the rigorist element in the early church. These views may have led him to adopt Montanism with its ascetic rigor and its belief in Chilism and the continuance of the prophetic gifts. In his writings on public amusements, the veiling of virgins, the conduct of women, and the like, he gives expression to these views.
on the principle that we should not look at or listen to what we have no right to practice, and that polluted things, seen and touched, pollute, despectaculous, ve, xvii, he declared a Christian should abstain from the theater and the amphitheater. Their pagan religious rites were applied and the names of pagan divinities invoked. There the precepts of modesty, purity, and humanity were ignored or set aside, and there no place was offered to the onlookers for the cultivation of the Christian graces. Women should put aside their gold and precious stones as ornaments, decultu, vivi, and virgins should conform to the law of Saint Paul for women and keep themselves strictly veiled, de virginibus velandis. He praised the unmarried state as the highest, de managamia, xvii, adoxorum, i.3 called upon Christians not to allow themselves to be exed in the virtue of celibacy by Vestal virgins and Egyptian priests, and he pronounced second marriage a species of adultery, de exhortations castitatis, ix. Those who believed Tertullian went to an unhealthy extreme in his counsels of asceticism might easily forgive him because of his moral vigor and the great service he provided as an ingenious and intrepid defender of the Christian religion. With Tertullian, as with Martin Luther and John Wesley, Christianity was first and chiefly an experience of the heart. Because of his schism with the church, he, like the great Alexandrian father, Origen, has failed to receive the honor of canonization. Tertullian is occasionally considered as an example of the misogyny of the early church fathers, on the basis of the contents of his Dicultu Feminarum, section II, part two, trans. C.W. Marx. Do you not know that you are Eve? The judgment of God upon this sex lies on in this age. Therefore, Necessarily the guilt should live on also. You are the gateway of the devil. You are the one who unsells the curse of that tree, and you are the first one to turn your back on the divine law. You are the one who persuaded him whom the devil was not capable of corrupting. You easily destroyed the image of God, Adam, because of what you deserve, that is, death. Even the Son of God had to die. Prophetic Exegesis Tertullian was the first Latin church father to use the prophecies to show the superiority of Holy Scripture over all pagan productions. Christ the stone that smites the image. Tertullian declares Christ to be the stone of Daniel too that will smite at his second coming the secular kingdom, image. Now these signs of degradation quite suit his first coming, just as the tokens of his majesty do his second advent, when he shall no longer remain a stone of stumbling and rock of offense, but after his rejection become the chief cornerstone accepted and elevated to the top place of the temple, even his church, being that very stone in Daniel, cut out of the mountain, 
which was to smite and crush the image of the secular kingdom. Of this advent the same prophet says, Behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him before him, and there was given him dominion and glory, and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Antichrist, beast, man of sin is near. Like Ienus, Tertullian identifies the Antichrist with the man of sin and the beast. On the one hand he speaks of many Antichrists as indeed John himself does, men who rebel against Christ at any time, yet on the other hand he expects the specific Antichrist just before the resurrection, as a persecutor of the church, under whom the second company of martyrs, awaited by those under the altar of the fifth seal, will be slain, and Enoch and Elijah will meet their long-delayed death. Unlike Ienus, however, Tertullian does not describe Antichrist as a Jew sitting in a Jewish temple at Jerusalem. Indeed, he says that the temple of God is the church. He expects Antichrist soon. Rome's continuance delays Antichrist's appearance. Commenting on the Antichrist of 2 Thessalonians 2 3 6, he observes that it is the Roman state that is the restraining obstacle, which, by being broken up into the ten kingdoms, would make way for Antichrist. For that day shall not come, unless indeed there first come a falling away, he Paul, means indeed of this present empire and that man of sin be revealed, that is to say, Antichrist, the son of perdition, who oseth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or religion, so that he sitteth in the temple of God, affirming that he is God remember ye not, that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now ye know what detaineth, that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now hinders must hinder, until he be taken out of the way. What obstacles is there but the Roman state, the falling away of which, by being scattered into the ten kingdoms, shall introduce Antichrist upon its own ruins, and then shall be revealed the wicked one? whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power, and signs, and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Babylon the recognized figure of Rome. The Babylon of the apocalypse is applied to the city of Rome and her domination. So, again, Babylon, in our own John, is a figure of the city Rome, as being equally great and proud of her sway, and triumphant over the saints. 
he depicts her as drunk, with the blood of martyred saints. Such was the obviously immediate application. Rome's breakup signal for end. There is also another and a greater necessity for our offering prayer in behalf of the emperors, nay, for the complete stability of the empire, and for Roman interests in general. For we know that a mighty shock impending over the whole earth, in fact, the very end of all things threatening dreadful woes, is only retarded by the continued existence of the Roman Empire. We have no desire, then, to be overtaken by these dire events, and in praying that their coming may be delayed, we are lending our aid to Rome's duration. Prophecy spans first and second advents. Tertullian regarded prophecy as largely prefiguring, in orderly succession, the chief events and epochs of the Church and the world from Christ's first advent to his second coming, and assures us that the events surrounding the second advent, such as the resurrection, were as yet unfulfilled. Millennium follows resurrection of dead. Our inquiry relates to what is promised in heaven, not on the earth. But we do confess that a kingdom is promised to us upon the earth, although before heaven, only in another state of existence, inasmuch as it will be after the resurrection for a thousand years in the divinely built city of Jerusalem, let down from heaven which the Apostle also calls our mother from above, and, while declaring that our citizenship is in heaven, he predicates of it that it is really a city in heaven. This both Ezekiel had knowledge of and the Apostle John beheld. This city New Jerusalem has been provided by God for receiving the saints on their resurrection and refreshing them with the abundance of all really spiritual blessings, as a recompense for those which in the world we have either despised or lost, since it is both just and God-worthy that his servants should have their joy in the place where they have also suffered affliction for his name's sake. After Millennium, World's Destruction and Heaven of the heavenly kingdom this is the process, after its thousand years are over, within which period is completed the resurrection of the saints, who rise sooner or later according to their deserts, there will ensue the destruction of the world and the conflagration of all things at the judgment, we shall then be changed in a moment into the substance of angels even by the investiture of an incorruptible nature, and so be removed to that kingdom in heaven. Seventy weeks fulfilled by first advent. Tertullian contends that by the prophecy of Daniel's seventy weeks the time of Christ's incarnation, as well as of his death, is foretold. He gives an extensive sketch of the chronology of the seventy weeks of years starting them from the first year of Darius, and continuing to Jerusalem's destruction by the Romans under the command of Titus. This was to show that the seventy weeks were then fully completed, the vision and prophecy thus being sealed by the advent of Christ, 
which he places at the end of the sixty-two and one-half weeks. The End Thank you for listening. This has been an audio file created by WebUlight.com Post your comments and ideas on this text on the site. Goodbye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.